Hello, 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 way back there. Told the ninth area service, listen, these seats, we bought them, we paid for them, they're good seats. You can sit in these front seats if you want. It's more than welcome to. Hey, we're glad you're here this morning. Beautiful day. A little humid outside. That's all right. It's ending up August. We're going to move into October, September. Yes, that comes next. Yeah, I don't want to race life away from me. Hey, we're glad you're here. Um, lots of wonderful blessings about being involved in ministry. I'll just tell you that up front. One of the things that's really fun and the opportunity that I get through Sherwood Oaks is to do a lot of mission travel, get ready to go to Africa, um, opportunities to, to learn and glean from great mentors. We've talked about that the last couple of weeks. And get to go to conferences. Any one of you, anyone here go to conferences because of your jobs or anything like that? Yeah, conferences. Conferences are fun, aren't they? Chance to get away, hear some new voices um, about, especially in ministry, about how God is working in new places. I'll be honest with you. A lot of conferences are as much a sales pitch as they are inspiration. You know, there's always the new speaker. The, he's a young, fresh face. He's got this book he's just written. There's this new program that they're introducing. He wants to share all about it. And if you buy his book and you do his program, then you can experience the amazing ministry miracle that he's experienced too. And they all seem to have this. And it's always a young, hip 30-something, and I'm trying not to make this about the fact that I'm not young and I'm not hip, but still you go, hmm, it's always the new young guy who goes to this really cool town and, and the city and he starts this church and within like three weeks they're running over 5,000 and it's just amazing and all the cool 20-somethings are there and you're like, Bleh. My friend Ken loves conferences. He works in the production up at the Bloomington campus. He loves conferences. He goes, wasn't that great? And I said, I, it was good. It was good. But I, I tell you, here's honestly the truth. I, at my age, I'm not that interested in a 20 or 30-year-old pastor who's been in ministry for about five years. I want to hear from the 75-year-old guy who's pastored a small church in like rural Kansas for 50 years and who's seen it and done it all, stuck it out, no matter how tough it got. I want to I learn from him. In other words, I want to hear from someone with, with proven grit. You know the word grit? Grit. At the end of the book of Romans, Paul is sending his greetings to all of those who serve the church there in Rome, and he mentions one guy in particular. It's, it's, it's in the, the 16th chapter of Romans, Romans chapter 16, verse 10, and here's what he says. It's just a short little section, but he says this, greet Apelles, whose fidelity to Christ has stood the test. And I think of Apelles, like that old 70-year-old pastor. He's like, he's seen it all. He stuck it out. He got the T-shirt to prove it. But he's been faithful to the call on his, his life, even when times got tough. And I want to hear from people with that kind of endurance who live out our core 52 core verse for today. Here, here it is in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. 
therefore, read this with me. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Today, we're looking at grit, that determination to see it through no matter how hard it gets. I need it, and I suspect you need it too. So if you want to go ahead and turn in your Bible to the book of Hebrews or open your Bible app and open up Hebrews, we're going to be hanging out in Hebrews a little bit among some other places, but we're going to pray and then we'll dig in. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the promise that you make to us to stick with us as we go through life. So the promise is that we don't go through it alone, but still, times can get tough and we need encouragement We need grit. So we pray that we learn more about that in your word this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This past week uh, on Facebook, I asked um, my followers, and I don't, I mean, I have five, uh, what the best piece of advice people over 65 had given them. And so people talked about their parents or their grandparents, their, their mentors or their teachers, and they gave, they shared their little piece of advice that they remember. And some were very, were very serious. And I mean, one of, them, one of them was always be kind. That is great advice. That is advice I would echo. Always be kind. Some were funny. This one, just because you can doesn't mean you should. Okay, so I'm not the only one that has been given that piece of advice in my life. I've needed that in my life. Some of them are funny, but also deadly serious, like this one right here. Which some of you may say, listen, you should have taken advice number two. Just because you can doesn't mean you should. But you know what? I feel like this is a good crowd. We can, we can roll with that, and you guys are going to be all right with it. But here's the idea. All of those, all that advice that we got from people who are 65 and up, it always runs to the practical end. It's just practical advice for living from people who have endured it, who have learned something through it, people with grit. In Avoca, not too far from here, the Avoca post office, I have a friend who used to work there, and she was saying behind the post office lived an old man in a tent, sort of a homeless guy. His name was Gussie Knotts, and Gussie would come in every day, and she'd say, how you doing, Gussie? And Gussie would say, well, it's a good life if you don't weaken. Good advice from Gussie Knotts, and the writer of Hebrews seems to echo it. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 35, the writer says this, don't throw away your confidence because it will be richly rewarded. In other words, it's a good life. If you don't weaken, don't give up before you are done. Instead, endure. 
our English word endure, comes from a Greek word, hupomeno. Hupomeno means means thriving in the most adverse circumstances. And if you need a visual picture of that, picture like um, uh, those like desert cactus or something, like a succulent. Many of you have those in your home. They don't require a lot of water or nourishment. They thrive in like sandy, dry soil. Think about those trees that somehow find their way growing out of the, out of the edge of a solid rock, and yet you have this thriving cedar. This is the idea. This is the visual picture of Hupamene. In our core verse, it's used to describe spiritual grit or endurance. In fact, they use the word endurance here. This, this passage, run with endurance. Maybe your, your version says patience, but it's the same idea. Run with endurance, hupomeno, the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Do you see that? The joy that was set before him endured the cross. We need grit because following Jesus isn't for wimps. Someone told me that years ago, and I've never forgotten. Following Jesus isn't for wimps. We need grit. If you don't believe me, believe Jesus, who said it this way, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. Amen? In this world, you will have trouble. But rather than be discouraged by that, Jesus says, take heart. Some of you need to take heart this morning because he has overcome the world. When Jesus sent his first disciples out into into their sort of first missionary community outreach, he told them that they would be hated by many, they would encounter persecution, they would experience suffering, and perhaps even the possibility of of death. But he says this, the one who perseveres to the end will be saved. We have the promise of God right at the start that following Jesus isn't for wimps. It's going to require grit and it's going to involve struggle. But the second piece of advice that I've always appreciated is this. Embrace the struggle. Paul said, we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that the suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope is wonderful. Through it, we experience God's love. James, the brother of Jesus, says it this way. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, hupomeno. It produces this, so let hupomeno finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So in view of these passages, we see struggle not as an enemy, but as an instructor. It's a blessing. It's a friend not something to be avoided. Now, surely God could make our lives easier. Yes, he's God. He can make our lives easier. But we seem to find in Scripture that we don't grow spiritually in places of comfort and ease. So there's this illustration. Moths and butterflies, you know how they start. They start out as little, like, grubby little wormy things. But then at a certain point in their development, they begin to form a cocoon around themselves. And they build this cocoon and build this cocoon, and they move inside of it, live in there. And while they're inside this cocoon, of course, all kinds of things are happening. They're changing, they're transforming. One of the things they're doing is they're developing wings, 
wings, we know butterflies and, and moths mostly by their amazingly colorful and, and gorgeous wings. So getting out of that cocoon, however, involves a fight. The, the butterfly, the moth, has to struggle to break through and rip through and tear through that cocoon. If you've ever felt raw silk, you know it is tough. And that little worm has to use every bit of its strength to break through that. And so some well-meaning people have attempted in the past to help them. And so they've made a little cut in the cocoon so that it's not so hard for the moth or the butterfly to get out. But here's what happens. A moth that doesn't struggle, a butterfly that doesn't struggle, never develops its wings properly. The, the effort and the straining and the struggle to tear through that cocoon sends all kinds of nourishment into the infrastructure of those wings so that when it emerges, it can fly. But if the butterfly doesn't experience that struggle, he leaves the cocoon and ends up limping along the ground with gimpy little wings that don't do much of anything. So teachers, educators, parents know this truth, that research shows that rather than removing obstacles from students and your children, allowing them to struggle is absolutely critical for mastery in a subject matter, or in life. Scripture backs this up. If we are not struggling, we're probably not learning. Christy Flynn, who taught, uh, had this sign in her um, classroom. She goes, she goes, we don't prepare the road for the child. We prepare the child for the road. You see the picture there? We don't make sure the path is absolutely level and all the rocks are out of the way so that the child has nothing to trip over. No, 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 no. You don't prepare the road for the child. You prepare the child for whatever challenges that road faces so they have every skill they need. Embrace the struggle. James says, blessed is the one who perseveres because that person will receive the crown of life that God has promised. Another piece of advice that I've loved, I had it on a mug, had it on a poster at some point in my life, keep calm and carry on. Keep calm and carry on. There's this beautiful word. It's five syllables long. If you know me, you know I love big words. So this five-syllable word is equanimity. 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 You say it however you want to say it. Just, just apply it. Equanimity. Equanimity. Does anyone know what that means? So equanimity. Equanimity means this mental calmness, composure, evenness of temper, especially in difficult situations. The Bible describes it as self-control. And if you're going to keep calm and carry on, you need equanimity. Paul said it this way in his letter to Timothy. In 2 Timothy 4, 5, he says, But you, Timothy, keep your head in all situations. Don't. Don't lose focus. Don't get caught up in other people's drama. Instead, endure hardship and do what God has called you to do. Stay focused on what God has called you to do. Do the work of the evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. If you don't agree with Tim and you don't agree with Paul, then maybe you will agree with the greatest American rapper of all time, LL Cool J. 
Anyone LL Cool J fan? I need someone to beatbox behind me. Brian, can you do, do you do beatboxing? Oh, okay. Okay, Zara, can you beatbox? Here's what LL Cool J said. When adversity strikes, that's when you have to be the most calm. You take a step back. You stay strong. You stay grounded. And you press on. And he is right. If you want to pre- preserve and persevere, then you can't let your emotional responses be controlled by external influences. You have to keep your head. You have to rule your own spirit. You have to take control of your own emotions and keep calm and carry on. Now, we've got some examples of when this did not happen. You don't have to look much further than the second book of the Bible in Exodus. We have the, the illustration from, um, from Jewish history. The Israelites have been slaves and captives in Israel for, for a long, long time, and they've been praying and crying out to God to deliver them, and finally God answers them, and he delivers them out of slavery in Egypt and sets them out towards the promised land. They leave Egypt full of excitement and joy. God is so good. Within four miles... They start complaining. I'm tired. I want the leeks and onions. They start complaining, and they don't stop. They never stop. They keep it up. So the estimates from the book of Numbers are that over a million Israelites left slavery in Egypt. Does anyone know how many actually stepped foot in the promised land and claimed it as the promise God had promised them? Two people, a million. A million were promised it. A million left Egypt, ready to receive it and take hold of it and take take uh, take captive all the all the land that God had promised to them and make it their own. And two people ended up doing it. The rest of them, the rest of them, let their attitude affect the outcome. That's too bad. The research is that the longer you stick with something, (laughs) the odds are that you're going to finish it. That's not just scientific research. That's just common sense. The Marines have something. Correct me if I'm wrong. If you're a Marine and you disagree with me, you can correct me. The Marines have this idea of the 40% concept, and the 40% concept is this. At about the point where you are ready to just throw your hands in, throw the towel in, throw your hands up, say, forget it, I'm done. I'm walking. I'm leaving. You're 40% to your goal. And when you give up, you walk away from 40% of being where you want to be. Philippians tells us this, Philippians 3.13. Instead, like the Israelites, or unlike the Israelites, we need to forget what is behind. Forget what is behind and strain. Strain towards what is ahead. Press on toward the goal to win the prize for which Christ has called us heavenward. Strain, press on, keep calm, and carry on. Each step brings you closer to where God has called you. This next piece of advice is a recent one in my life, but it's true. I found it to be true. Find your people. Our women's ministry are doing this great initiative, uh, building community um, with encouraging friends that they're making and, and developing good relationships and friendships, encouraging each other. They're finding their people. So I don't know if you've, if you've heard this story. I, I ran across it uh, again after several years. It's, do we have a picture up there? 
So in this picture, you see two people. The front guy is a Kenyan runner. His name is Abel Mutai. And in this race, he is a few meters to the finish line where he is going to win the race. But here's what's happening right here. Abel Mutai is getting confused. And he doesn't know the language, so he is misreading the signs. And he thinks he's finished the race. Now, the guy behind him is a Spanish guy named Ivan Fernandez. And Ivan realizes what's going on, and he sees, he sees Abel struggling, and so Ivan yells at him, go, go, keep going, keep going. But, but, but Abel doesn't speak Spanish. He doesn't know what, what Ivan is saying to him. And so Ivan grabs hold of Abel <laughs> and begins like, pull him with him and shoves him over the finish line, and afterwards... The reporter says, uh, why did you do that? Why did you let him win? And Ivan replies this way. He says, my dream is that one day we can have some sort of community life where we push ourselves and help each other win. And I want to say, oh, Ivan, I've got a great community for you to be part of. The reporter wasn't having it. He goes, okay, hold on. But, but why did you let the Kenyan win? And Ivan says, I didn't let him win. The race was his. He was winning it. In our core verse, Paul talks about this cloud of witnesses. People both seen and unseen that are cheering us on, that are applauding our efforts to keep moving forward that are pulling us and shoving us and pushing us towards the finish line. Perseverance is often thought of as an individual trait, like, I've got to have grit. I've got to have perseverance. I'm going to pull myself up by my bootstraps. But here's the truth. Perseverance is a group accomplishment. It is a community accomplishment. We need other people encouraging us, correcting us where we're wrong, pushing and pulling us to the finish line. Hebrews chapter 10 just tells us this, spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, not you, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. Man, find your people. They're going to help you persevere. And then, this advice was given to me a long time ago. Don't be so serious. I, I don't know if it's easy for you to imagine me being serious, but for a while I, I took a lot of stuff very seriously. But someone shared this passage with me. It says, in your presence there is fullness of joy. It's a, from the psalmist. David wrote this psalm. And he says, in your presence, Lord, there is fullness of joy. And sometimes Christians do not live out the truth of that passage. Sometimes our circumstances and our situations, as serious and intense as they are, require <laughs> that we laugh. We laugh at them. We find humor in the situations we find ourselves in. It's one of the most powerful weapons that I have found as I consider the things that weigh me down and weary me out to just find something funny to laugh about in that. Carl Reiner, uh, he's, many of you know him because he was a 
writer and producer and even an actor on the Dick Van Dyke Show, among many, many, many other classic TV shows. Uh, Carl Reiner, at the end of his life, just dealing with so much. But no matter how bad things got, he kept his sense of humor. And he was telling one of the one reporter, he says, okay, every morning I pick up the newspaper and I open it to the obit section. If my name is not written there, then I go have breakfast. That's great advice. <laughs> if you woke up this morning and were able to get in your car and come to church, you know what? It's a good day. It's a good day. You can laugh and smile at trouble when it comes. There's plenty of in life to get discouraged about. There's plenty of in life to get distracted about. But don't, don't let it. Don't let it. Are you alive? Have breakfast and get on with living life and pursuing what God has called you to pursue. If you're not alive... If you find your name in the obituary column, then here's what I want you to do. I want you to look up my friend, my friend uh, Appella. Remember him? I've got, a, I've got a game that I play with some friends. It's not really a game. It's a conversation starter. And so uh, we'll be around the table or we'll be hanging out, and I'll say, okay, so when you get to heaven, who do you want to have coffee with? Who do you want to have coffee with? Zara. Jonah? Jonah, Okay. Zara wants to have coffee with Jonah. Anyone else? Jesus? Okay, well, see, this is who I should, she should be preaching the sermon this morning. <laughs> Jeez. Anyone else? Paul in, uh, in Hebrews, or the writer of Hebrews in chapter 11, gives us the list of names of people that have inspired him and who, who have been an encouragement to him. And he mentions, he mentions guys like Enoch and Noah and Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Jacob and Rahab and Gideon and Samson and David. And I'm going, yeah, those guys are amazing. I want to talk to those men and women. Men and women of faith who had grit, who kept going. But, but when I read in Hebrews about Apella, I'm thinking, huh, I don't know that there's going to be a long line to talk to Appella, so I'm going to try to get in when the getting's good because I think Appella would have something interesting to say because his fidelity to Christ has stood the test. If you've got the King James Version, it says that Appella is approved in Christ. I want to be approved in Christ. I'm 56 years old. I got a ways to go. I think I've passed the 40% mark, though, so I'm, my odds are getting better and better and better. And I have every confidence because I, I am surrounded and encompassed by the power of God, and God's love and grace surround me and strengthen me. And I can do all things, the one who gives me strength. Amen? How about you? Are you getting strength? from God, and if not, here's how to do it. <laughs> you entrust your life to him. You make Jesus Christ Lord of your life. The promise is this, that if Jesus is Lord, then if God be for us, who can be against us? If Jesus is Lord, then we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Jesus Christ who died and who was raised, who is at the right hand of God. The scriptures say Jesus is interceding for us. 
whatever you're going through, you are not going through it alone. Jesus is interceding for you. Ah, what shall separate us from the love of Christ? Amen? The God of grace is persevering with us. He is enabling us to persevere and ensuring that no matter what comes against us, we will not be lost. We will make it home at last, safe and sound. If you've never accepted Christ, it's simply this. Offer your life to him. Say, Lord, I am yours. Take me and use me in whatever way you can do. And you say, oh, Tim, you don't know. Man, I'm a hot mess. I got lots of stuff. I got a lot of stuff. I'm thinking, man, look around. You're in the right place. We all got a lot of stuff. We all got a lot of stuff. There's not a one of us here that can look and say, yeah, I'm totally worthy of God's grace. No, no, none of us are. None of us are. But all of us, or most of us, have said yes to God's grace. We've said, yeah, we got a lot of stuff. But God's got a lot of grace, and his grace is sufficient, the Scripture says. Accept that grace. Accept that forgiveness. Make your faith public by being baptized. And then you know what? Just get to it. Just start living. Trusting God, looking to him for strength and encouragement as you go along, and engaging and finding your people who can encourage you and help push and pull you over the finish line, who walk with you until you hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. We're getting ready to go into a time of communion. And in the time of communion, we celebrate and remember and give thanks for the grace that we have received, all because Jesus persevered, all because Jesus endured. He endured the cross, despising the shame, now he's seated at the right hand of God, interceding for us. Hebrews 12, 3 says this, Think of him who endured such opposition against himself by sinners, so that you may not grow weary in your souls and give up. And this morning, if you are weary in your soul, don't give up. Keep going. Let's pray. Jesus, this morning as we take the bread and the cup, we remember and take encouragement from you. You endured the cross. Now you rule and reign. Help us endure as well so that we can receive the victor's crown. For those areas of our life where it is just hard right now, as we take the bread and the cup, remind us that we have you with us. We are not alone. We are not walking this journey by ourselves, but we have your presence with us, and we have family alongside of us, fellow racers who will pull and push and tug until we cross the finish line too. We are thankful for those people who have been so instrumental in our lives to demonstrate what perseverance looks like, who brought us into this knowledge of the grace of Jesus. May we endure. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for watching this message from Sherwood Oaks Christian Church. 
Did you know you can view any message from the past six years at socc.org messages? You can also view complete worship services from the past month at socc.tv.